Um, today is our 122nd message in the book of Joshua. Last week, or, or two weeks ago, we were in Joshua chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, and the message was called, An Old Life Made New. And what we looked at was the parallel that God has revealed to us in, these, in Joshua chapter 20. We've seen a parallel between the Lord himself and the refuge cities that he told the Israelites to establish in their inheritance. These were cities of refuge that were set aside for those that would accidentally take the life of another person. Uh, a human life being taken in the Old Testament, that was a life for a life. But in the circumstance where it was a mistake, it was un, unintended, there would be a place of refuge where justice could be found. And what we saw was this amazing picture that as we considered those that would come to the cities of refuge or those who would come to Christ, they would have to both come the same way, which was in honesty and transparency. And we saw this imagery of the fact that Christ is pictured in this place of refuge, this place of protection, this place of restoration. So whether an Israelite of Joshua's time or someone today in Christ, both would come with the same heart, this place of transparency and honesty. And it was through this beautiful display that we saw in this passage, if someone came with that heart, with that heart of transparency and honesty, then guess what? They would be lovingly received. The doors would be wide open for them. And we saw these Levitical priests, and the Levitical priests, their role was to be at the gate. And when this person came and told their story and they were honest and transparent, parent, guess what? Those Levitical priests were ready and willing to receive them in. It's a picture of the Lord. It's a picture of the way that God looks at us. And he says, hey, listen, if you'll come to me, guess what? I will receive you. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of God, a heart of restoration. And then within that refuge, once they were there, what was so amazing is the fact, even though what they had done was worthy of death, and our sin, guess what? Our sin makes it worthy of death. All of us, we have all sinned, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And though we're worthy of death, what we find is in the refuge of God, you're safe and secure. Right? God meets and provides everything that you need. We saw them in this place. When they came into the city, what would happen is they would be made a part of the community. They would have their provisions taken care of. They would be a part of the community. And they would be there awaiting justice to, to be done. Then once they'd been judged, there was only one last thing that had to take place in order for them to actually be set free. They literally could return back to where they had come. And it was the death of the high priest. And God included this specific detail to make sure that we would correlate between these cities of refuge and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we went to Hebrews chapter number 9. And in that Hebrews 9, we read an entire portion of Scripture. And you know what it told us? Not only that Jesus was our high priest, but it also gave us this amazing picture that it was through the death of the high priest that sin would be atoned. It would be through the death of Christ that those would be set free that were, that were literally in bondage but were set free through the death of the, of the high priest. And so here's this amazing thing. God's again, he's showing us, he's saying, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. I'm going to give you details. I'm going to leave little breadcrumbs so you'll spot what I'm trying to tell you. Recognize this is a picture of your salvation. This is a picture of restoration and refuge. And at the death of the high priest, they would then be set free. But then what we also noticed at the very end, they weren't just set free just to go off. They were actually sent back to their communities. They were sent to go back and tell of what God had done, the grace they had experienced. And it's amazing. That's why you and I are left on this earth. If it was just about salvation, God would kill us the moment we got saved and take us to heaven because it would all be just about our relationship with him. But he left us so we can go back to our communities and tell the story of the grace of God, right? Our testimony to the world and we saw this pictured in Christ a picture of death to life a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ first Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 4 says this 
For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. In Joshua 20, so far, we have seen the Lord picture himself as the plan, his, or picture his plan of redemption through the cities of refuge. And as we walk through the book of Joshua, what's been so cool is if we've just paid attention to listen and to pay attention to look at all the little stuff that he left in there, he keeps revealing himself. He keeps revealing his story. Every, every, every step of the way, we've seen him in events. We've seen it in people. We've seen it in places. He keeps referencing again and again and again. Recognize, this is my story. This is my story. Remember, Joshua is the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus. And so not only, but the cool thing is it's not just in the book of Joshua. If we take the time to listen and we take the time to pay attention, what we find is Christ shows up every single book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He's in every single one. And it's just a matter of having eyes to see and ears, ears to hear. So we see this amazing truth in the Bible. And what we're going to do today is we're going to wrap up chapter 20. And uh, which there's only 24 chapters. Can you believe it? We're literally getting so close. Probably a year we're going to be done. It's going to be amazing. All right, 2024, we'll be rolling into the next book. Um, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to learn about the specific cities that are set aside, the specific cities of refuge, and why God chooses them and what they each one, each one will represent in our message this morning, which is called Justice for All. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I have studied, I have prayed, I have reviewed and lord i'm confident that what you've shown me uh, lord i am excited to, to share it but god i know that i am the hindrance to the preaching and i am asking you lord to please remove me in any way you can take the human element my stumbling tongue dumb things i might say lord would you please just help me to be held back that your spirit might take hold of the service that lord you might work in and through your word that lord we might receive what it is that uh, you intend for us not lord what i might interpret so thank you for the word. Thank you for this time. I pray that you'd take hold of the service in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. It says, And they appointed to Kadesh in Galilee and Mount Naphtali and Shechem in Mount Ephraim and Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron in the Mount of Judah. And on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezir in the wilderness upon the plain of the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth, in Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan, and Bashan, out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither, and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, until he stood before the congregation. Now you have a map on your sheet, you can look at it, and we also have, you can see it up here. Um, if you can see those little teeny tiny red dots on your sheet, what we see is, the way, if we can sort of see how these are spaced out, what we'll notice is they're sort of regional, right? There's one to the north, there's one in the center, there's one down here. So they're set up so that anybody who was seeking refuge, it wouldn't be that far of a travel in order for them to receive or get where it was they needed to be. But the question is, why did God choose these specific cities? What is relevant about them? And so what we're going to first do is consider the one that's to the north, that's inside of the promised land. This is how God's going to reveal them to us. He's going to tell it to us. He's going to identify them from the north to the south. And we see this is in the tribe of Naphtali. Remember, these are Levitical cities. These are priest cities. And the city is called Kadesh. Now, what's interesting about Kadesh is there's a really interesting story tied to them. What we find is the city of Kadesh is the place where literally whenever the Israelites were being, uh, when they were under or under, under bondage and they had been taken captive, 
there was a, a, a unique judge, the only female judge. Her name was Deborah. And Deborah had a, a general, his name was Barak. And Barak had gathered all of the soldiers to go and set the people free. And he had the rallying point that they would all meet, the foundation that they would meet in before they were to go out and bring liberation to their people was in this place of Kadesh. This was their central meeting point. The other thing we find out about Kadesh is Kadesh actually translates, the Hebrew meaning of it is a holy place. A holy place. So Kadesh is referenced as a holy place. We see that it's linked to obviously being holy, but then we also see that it's linked directly to liberation. Then we go to the central region, the northern uh, and, or, the, or the, the inheritance of Manasseh and Ephraim are kind of bordered. Actually, inside of Ephraim, just inside of their border, we find the city of Shechem. Now, Shechem translates as shoulder or back. Many times we might consider it like a burden or, or something that someone's going to, uh, something's going to, something's going to, can, can be carried. But what's really relevant about it and what makes this such an unusual place is Shechem is the place whenever God shows up to Abram and he's getting ready to tell him, hey, I'm going to bring a promise to you. I'm going to take your offspring and I'm going to make a nation. It is in Shechem that God is going to meet with Abram, who will become Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 through 7 says this, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Hisham, which is the same location, unto the plain of, uh, plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there buildeth thee an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. Now, as a side note, we're going to take a little sidestep just to sort of cover something that's kind of a doctrinal thing we need to understand. When we look at this verse, verse number seven, this is, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, he, he said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. It's very specific. Unto thy seed. Okay? Now, the reason why that's important is because what we'll find is you go through different translations of the Bible. We use a King James Bible. This is the only one for 400 years. This is the only English Bible on the planet. This Bible has been preserved. This is the only Bible that you cannot copyright. This Bible is very specific in the individual words that are translated. And what you'll find when you go to other translations, they will pick and choose different words to put in different places. But God said he would preserve his word and his words. So there's specifically here, he says, unto thy seed. He does not say seeds talking about the coming generation. Because when he says seed, S-E-E-D, he is pointing and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not just picking that out of the air. There is a proof verse that will show us that that is the truth in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to this as Paul references back to the Old Testament. He says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to, that, and to thy seed which is Christ, Amen. right? So if we change the meaning, if you go to any other Bible, guess what? You will not find seed. You'll find things, a word like descendants. You'll find a word like offspring. It will not be what it says in our Bible. So Jesus in Genesis 12, that's pretty cool. And so Kadesh we see is attached to holiness and liberation. Then we see Shechem is, is directly linked to God's promise, the fulfillment of God's promises. This brings us to the third city of refuge, which is inside of Canaan. This is the Levitical city of Hebron. Now, Hebron translates as united. That's what it means, united. But what's interesting about Hebron, because we've been studying the book of Joshua, we're very familiar with Hebron, right? There was a guy named Caleb. 
And Caleb was a faithful dude, man. When they, then they got right to the border of the promised land. There was Joshua and Caleb that went in with ton, 10 other spies. And Joshua and Caleb came back and they were like, dude, we can take this thing. We can rock this. We can take them down. We've got this. And the Bible says that he wholly followed the Lord, meaning he was a man of complete faith all the way through. So here we see this incredible example. So when we take this and we go back, let's go look at Joshua chapter 14. Verse 14, it tells us about when Joshua, or when Caleb receives this land. It says, Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day. Why? Because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. There's only one other person in the Bible that ever says that about, and that is Joshua. Most of the time, it's actually referencing Caleb. So we see that Hebron is directly associated with faithfulness, wholly following the Lord. Oh, that we could say that of ourselves, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful yeah. if that's what it said on your tombstone? Yeah. Holy follow the Lord. Boom. Yeah. Unfortunately, for most Christians today, that's not the case. Yeah. Most follow the Lord sort of when it's comfortable and it's convenient, but if it gets uncomfortable or inconvenient, then well, you know what? I mean, anyway, I ain't going to be on a zealot. I ain't crazy, man. I'm not one of those Jesus freaks, right? Because God forbid, we would stand for the Lord and stand out from the rest of the people around us. The Bible tells us we're supposed to be a peculiar person. Yeah. We're supposed to look different. Yeah. But unfortunately, that sometimes that can be a little bit uncomfortable. How many times have you ever had a conversation with somebody and maybe it's turned to religion and then suddenly you're like, oh, this could go really south, right? But you know what? Our job is to marry. We're supposed to share the truth in love. It's not an opportunity to fight with somebody. It's not an opportunity to argue with somebody. It's an opportunity to love somebody. The world is full of broken people. How should we expect lost people to act except for like lost people? Like if you'd have talked to me when I was lost, if not for the grace of God to prepare my heart to receive Christ, ah, man, we'd have been in it, buddy. We'd have been just going at it. I'm telling you, because I was a fighter by nature, and we would have just gotten into it. It would have been ugly. But the thing was, because of the grace of God to be willing to draw humanity and bring us through circumstances, he can break through, through the walls. So we see this picture of faithfulness when we look at his life. And what happens is so many times we have to ask ourselves, how great is my faith? How big is my faith? Right? You can tell the size of someone's faith based upon the size of the obstacle that will derail their faith. Because you have people, oh, I trust God, I trust God, and something happens and all of a sudden, well, you know what, I thought he had my back, but it turns out he doesn't. No. The Bible says we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't, our circumstances don't determine our faith. It's God's identity and his character that establishes our faith. But what we find is the fact that the Bible actually talks about the size of our faith. Jesus actually correlates it to a mustard seed. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed before. Mustard seed is extremely tiny. It's like a, like a sesame seed. It's about the same size as a sesame seed. And so what's interesting, and then it turns into like one of the largest trees in the world, which is also kind of cool. But anyway, he says this in Matthew 17, 20. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Wow. Amazing. Okay? And so we hear this, and what this is saying, Jesus is saying, listen, based upon the faith that you have, this is going to directly correlate to what you're going to see amazingly done on the earth. And that's awesome. But that we also need to qualify what we're talking about here. Because this truth right here has been horrifically distorted in the Christian world. Okay? There are people, there are churches and entire faith groups that will take this amazing truth about the size of our faith and they'll say, man, oh man, this is incredible. So what will happen is someone will come along who's dealing with an issue. Someone's, someone gets a disease 
And you know what they'll say to them? These fools? Well, just looks like you don't have enough faith. You're sick? Oh you, oh, you can't be healed? You just don't have enough faith, man. Why aren't you healed? Your faith. You're just too weak in your faith. Well, we've got to realize the fact that that's not what this is actually teaching us. See, Paul references back, and he, or actually Paul is teaching something, and Peter's going to reiterate it to us, and he's going to talk to us a little bit in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter 3, verse 16. So Peter, in this moment, in this scripture, is referencing back to Paul's writings, and I want you to hear what he says. He says, as also in all his epistles, speaking of Paul, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to, under, hard to be understood. There's some of Paul's stuff. Man, if you don't study, you're going to get yourself twisted around. You're going to get a little messed up. Notice the next part. Which they that are unlearned, okay? These people do not know God's word. And unstable, right? They are not established on the rock of Christ. Notice this word, rest. That's the root word of wrestle, right? If you're going to wrestle something, if I'm going to wrestle Kobe, I'm going to get him in a headlock and I'm going to go, he wants to go that way. I'm going, no, we're going this way. I'm going to rest you out of where it is you want to go. What truth you have, I'm going to twist you out of the frame. And what we find here is the fact this is referencing a heretical belief that bottom line, it is adversity, that the problem with adversity is just a matter of a lack of faith. And this is completely counter-biblical. It is completely counter-biblical because recognize adversity is a part of the human experience. It is a part of being alive. And so what's happened is they're perverting something, and what it does is it puts all the control in you. It puts all the strength in you. Right. And now you're the deciding factor. And what it's gone from, consider this. So we've got Joshua and Caleb, right? And they went and looked across. Now, if you had that kind of faith, which is, hey, you're, you don't have great enough faith. When they looked into the promised land, guess what, have not, what would have not been there? Giants. Whoa. But see... Joshua and Caleb wholly followed the Lord. They're an example of faith, and yet when they looked across, there's obstacles. Oh boy, there's giants. According to that kind of thinking, if they'd have had greater faith, they would have walked up and there would have been no one there. Just the, the road was paved, an easy street, and man, oh man, everything's ready to go. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Recognize it's faith in him. It's not our supernatural ability to have him be under our control to, to be at our beck and call. Yeah. It's not about clearing out the obstacles in life. It's him walking through the obstacles of life with us. Right. Trials and adversities are part of who we are in our entire existence. James 1 verses 2 through 4 says this. My brethren, listen, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations when hard times come. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Romans 5, verses 3 through 4 says this, And not only so, listen, but we glory in tribulations, we celebrate them, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience and hope. So the idea that trials are a result of insufficient faith is just simply not in God's word. You see, it is the strength of God in the midst of us. It's not him miraculously taking everything out of our way. It's his presence with us through the trials that gets us through them. It's what allows us to become the people of God he created us for. Listen to what Paul says. I said, listen, if anybody can point it out, this is an amazing place. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Remember, Paul has a thorn in the flesh. He's got a physical ailment that he just can't get rid of. He's asked God three times to take it away. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, Get us need greater faith, Paul! No. Is that what he said? No. 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 
Because listen, wouldn't that be the answer? Well, hey, Paul, you just need greater faith. No. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. You lean on me, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, well, most gladly, therefore, again, celebrate most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This thing is purposeful. God needs to have this adversity in my life. He needs to help me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And when we understand that truth, then when we get into Philippians 4.13, which in our King James Bible says it differently than any other Bible you're going to find in the world. Our, our Bible says this, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Go to any other translation, it's going to say, I can do all things through Christ, who, who strengtheneth me. What this Bible's telling us is it's the things... It's the adversities that we go through. He says, listen, I can do all things, those things that I'm going to go through Christ, which, the which is not talking about the person, it's talking about the adversities and his presence in the midst of them. It's the adversity that gets us there. It's the strength that we gain through him. Though he says, I'll walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. He doesn't just jerk us out of the dark and set us in the light. No. We go through the darkness with his presence and we go, you know what? I can trust the Lord. I can trust the Lord. I can trust. And guess what? Our faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And when those storms come, instead of getting overwhelmed and ready to quit, we can go, you know what? Even in this, God's there. Even in this cancer, God's there. Even in this financial calamity, God's there. Even through whatever's going on in my life, God is there. And he'll get me through. Such an important principle for us to understand then we look at this we get through our trials it's not our supernatural influence over Christ who because of our incredible faith paves our way through life it is the adversities that understand that adversity has a purpose it is a part of who we are and there is not a result of weak faith do not listen to that lie I can tell you that has been propagated in this world more than you can possibly imagine it's all over the place it's not what it says. And so we see these promised land cities of refuge, one that's connected to holiness and liberation, another which is direct links to God's promises and the fulfillment of those, and yet another that exists as a reward for complete and total faithfulness. Well, how beautiful is that? These are the ones inside the promised land. Now, what we're going to see now is how about the ones outside? When we look, look, take a look at our map, what we're going to find now is where God listed them before from north to south, here like this. Now he's going to give it to us from south to north. I don't know necessarily why that's different, but for whatever reason, he switches it up. There's something different in these, and we're going to find that out as we read. So starting this time, as I said, from, north, from south to north, this will be those that are available outside of the promised land, okay? So recognize, as we have discussed in the past, for those of you that have been here, you're going to know this. For those of you that have not been here, I'll give you a little bit of a refresher. A refresher. So what we have is a picture, a spiritual picture, in the promised land. What God's doing is he's calling God's people into a place where they walk in fellowship with him, right? A land flowing with milk and honey. And God, spiritually speaking, when we get saved, he draws us through the wilderness. He tries to get us to make the decision to come into the promised land, to get into a place of fellowship with him, right? Where we're going to focus on our holiness. God's going to provide for us. So this is talking about an abundant life with Christ. This is talking about walking in fellowship with God. So that's in the promised land. So then if you're outside of the promised land, you're not in the will of God meaning that you're now still in the wilderness. So we see this picture. Now recognize, there were three that were for those that are inside God's will, and now there are going to be three that are outside of God's will. Does that make sense? Yes. 
Okay, so here we see this understanding of this one representing one, uh, meaning in God's will, the other representing outside. So here we see this first mention of these three cities. Interestingly enough, these again, these are the cities that are outside of God's will. Now, recognize this. The very first time that they show up is in the midst of a stern warning that God's giving the people of God about idolatry. It's in Deuteronomy chapter number 4, verse 40 through 43. He says, Thou shalt keep, therefore, his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with the children after thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. Then Moses severed three cities on this side Jordan toward the sun rising. Recognize, this is before they ever go into the promised land, okay? So this is about a year before they're going to actually make the trek over the border. So he only mentions, notice this, he only mentions the ones that are in the wilderness. He only talks about the east. Now, numbers, he does talk about both, but in Deuteronomy, he does not make mention of those other three cities. He only mentions the ones here outside. Verse 42, that the slayer might flee thither, which should uh, kill his neighbor unawares and hated him not in times past, but, and that fleeing unto one of these cities, he might live, namely Bazir in the wilderness and the plain country of the Reubenites and the Ramoth and Gilead, of the Gadites and Golan and Bashan of the Manasites. So Deuteronomy, again, makes no mention of the other three cities in the Promised Land, as if God is highlighting here, as he's rebuking them, that he's offering grace to them in the midst of disobedience, that God's offering grace to those that are outside of his will, right? And we think about this. We think about this beautiful picture of who Christ is. And what happens is so many times people have a false perception of God. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there that think that God is judgmental, that he's unfair, mm -hmm. that he's uncaring. Why would God allow bad things happen to good people? Can I tell you that God made this world to be perfect and to be sinless? Yeah. And it was not God's choice to bring destruction to the world. The Bible says that death came by way of man and man by free will that God offered us. Mm -hmm. And so God gives every person free will. But see, God is also a fair God. He's a good judge. We judge people if they do something wrong against us, right? You cut me off in traffic. I'm not just like, well, praise God. Love you, brother. No, I'm like, you idiot, right? I mean, I'm going to judge you. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to say it. I'm gonna, I may not say it out loud, but I'm going to say it in my brain probably. <laughs> then I'm going to repent. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm going to give him some grace. But so we, we judge people all the time. And so what happens is God is a good judge. He judges us rightfully so. But what also is amazing is that God is a God of grace. And so what we see pictured for us here is he talks about the fact that the, the, the Israelites literally are going to do the wrong thing. And yet he's going to offer them, offer them grace. And then we see a picture of being outside of God's will. And what does God do? He establishes cities where they can find refuge. This is a picture of the heart of God. Certainly towards them, but also towards us. God has a God, as a heart, as a heart of restoration. He offers refuge to those outside of his will on a regular basis. And the first city that we see is this city that's in the tribe of Reuben's land, and it's called Bazir. Now, what's interesting about these cities outside in the, uh, the, in, the, in the wilderness is the fact that there's not a lot of historical record of what takes place. There aren't big events that happen in these places. So what do we do? When we don't have historical record, we go to the historic, or we go to the, to the names because the names have relevance. So the Hebrew names have a specific meaning. So we go to Bazir and we look at what it means. Bazir has two meanings. It translates as either gold or silver, like a precious metal, or it, separate, it also translates as a branch 
that has been separated or cut off. And so we look at these two translations. And what's interesting is that when we go to those people, if you look at, let's just take where we're at, right? So we're outside of God's will, right. and we've got gold and silver. So put gold and silver in the hands of somebody who's outside of God's will, and what do they inevitably create? Idols. Now, that's certainly true of statues back then, but today, that's in bars and coins, but it's still, they're still idols, right? People still worship, but how many people, man, you, they've got whole shows about digging dirt out of the ground and spending millions of dollars digging up dirt, or digging up, I guess they're not digging up dirt, digging up gold, right? <laughs> but the thing is, people are searching and seeking wealth. This is something that people continually worship in our world. And then so we see here, not only do we see this tie to to precious metals and to idolatry there, but then we also see the fact that they are considered branches, okay? So the Jews are referenced as branches. Jesus talks about the vine and the branch in, in John 5 as he's walking, or John 15. But then we also see that as we go to a good place to look at this would be in Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter number 11. And what we'll find is the fact that God is going to identify his people, the Jewish people, as the elect. Right? He's going to call those that are those, those people of election. And what you see is the fact that he created them for a special purpose. God was going to reach the world with the message and the news of who God was through the Hebrew people. But then what we found was the fact that they unfortunately rejected him. A large portion of them rejected him. They were dogmatically sold out to the law of God. They were hung up on, on religion. And so what happens is there's a transition that takes place in the Bible. As we work our way through the, through the, or through the, um, through the Gospels, what we'll find is that's Jewish, 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 very Jewish driven. Then we get to the book of Acts, and guess what? It's still a Jewish message. It's all about the Jew in the beginning. And you have Peter, who's, he's the guy who's kind of leading. A book of Acts is all about him. Then we get to Acts 7. Stephen comes on the scene. Stephen dies. And then in Acts 9, there's another guy that comes along, and his name is Paul. And Paul's no longer, now the message had always been go to the Jews. But what happens is because the Jews had rejected God and rejected Christ, God made a transition over to the Gentile. Mm -hmm. And Paul is the apostle to the Gentile. So we recognize this transition that takes place. But I want to show you something here as God's working his way. And he's going to talk to us in Romans chapter 11. We're going to see the branch. That's why I'm telling you of this, okay? Roman, or Romans 11, verses 19 through 24. It says, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off. Okay, now what I want you to recognize, Paul is addressing this in Romans 11. He's addressing those of us that have come to Christ by faith. He's talking to those in the Gentile world. And he's referencing back, he's saying, he's, he's saying this is what we're going to say. Thou wilt say, meaning us, the branches were broken off. Okay, the Jews that were part of that, the vine, which is a part of, of Israel, the part of God's people, Listen, that I might be grafted in. Oh, God's swapping them out, man. Guess what? Now we have a replacement theology. God's done with the Jew, so now guess what? I'm a spiritual Jew, so now every promise you see in that Old Testament, turns out it's for me too, because it turns out I'm a spiritual Israel. That's what, he, that's what he's warning about, right? Well, he says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. He says, listen, don't get full of yourself. For if God spared not the natural branches, the natural branches are the Jews, okay? Okay, that's the natural branches of that good, of that good tree. He says, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. Listen to verse 23. 
And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, listen, he says, listen, they, talking about the Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, okay? For God is able to graft them in again, bring them back. Verse 24, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, you are not a part of God's family. But God has taken you from that wild group, man, that, that Gentile, that Greek group. He's taken you here, and guess what? He's joined you in. Verse 24, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature, and listen, into a good olive tree, you have been now made a part of God's family, how much more shall these, listen, which be the natural branches, the Jews, be grafted into their own olive tree? That's what Romans is teaching us, right? And so what happens is people that are out there that think that Calvinistic thinking and stuff like that, they'll take these verses and they'll twist them every which way but loose. They will wrest them out of the frame, man, and try to have it say something else. This is not talking about a specific group of chosen individuals. It's talking about the Jewish people. It's saying God makes provision for all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. He loves the world, and that's what he's trying to display. His grace is offered to those inside his will but equally to those outside praise the lord why am i here today because of that grace right i deserved hell i was destructive i hurt people all my life i made bad choices i sinned against god and i knew it i took his name and i used it as a curse word all the time and i never thought twice about it but when god gave me an opportunity man i realized who i was I realized what I'd done, and I realized the fact that, man, he loved me enough. That even though I was who I was, he was willing. Man, God's awesome. That's all I'm saying. I don't care what you think, but he's awesome. Whew. And so, Vizier, we see it associated with unbelief, separation, and idolatry. Then the next wilderness city of refuge is found in the inheritance of the tribe of Gad. It's the city of Ramoth, which translates as a high place, a high place. Now, what's interesting about a high place, a high place means a place of worship, okay? You will see several small instances where people are actually going to worship God in a high place. But a majority of the times you're going to see it, almost every time you see it, it's going to be associated with idolatry. Yeah. And what we see is there's a, there's a, 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 what do you call it? a rule of Bible study, and it's called the law of first mention. And every time a word first shows up in Scripture, God's going to telegraph the meaning that he wants you to carry on that. So the very first time that we see high place show up in Scripture is Leviticus 26, verse 30. He says, and I will destroy your high places, this is God, and cut down your images, your idols, and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. Hello, that's pretty strong. Yikes. Okay, so that's what God thinks of the high places in this regard. So time and time again, we see this link to idolatry. When we go and we look at what happened with Hezekiah, Hezekiah came through and whatever he got, he came in and he was able to straighten things out. And the first thing they did is he went and destroyed the high places and he tore them down. And then he had a wicked son named Manasseh and Manasseh came right behind him. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rebuild those high places. Listen to this in 2 Kings 21 verses 2 through 3. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove as, he, as did Ahab king of Israel and worshipped all the hosts of heaven 
and serve them. And so with Bezir, we see that it has a meaning that's directly linked to unbelief, separation, idolatry. And now Ramoth is associated with high places. But what about the last city? Well, the last city is called Golan. And it's found in the northern region of the eastern tribe of Manasseh. Now, Golan, like, its other, like the other cities in this, it doesn't really have a story, but it does have a meaning. Golan translates as their captivity. Their captivity. So if we say, okay, their captivity, let's take a look at the Israelites' captivity. And you know what we find as we look into their captivity? Every time they fall into captivity, do you know why? Idolatry. Idolatry. The same thing again and again and again. Listen to Joshua speaking of this in Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, he says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. This is my challenge to you. This is what I'm asking you to do. And listen, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And by the way, they were in captivity in Egypt for 430 years. And he says, and serve ye the Lord. Listen to Joshua's plea at the end of his life as he's begging them. Verse 23. Now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord, your, the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Oh boy, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Joshua, we're in, man. And here's his response. So Joshua made a covenant, a promise with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance. And look where he did it. In Shechem, the place of promise where God met Abram so many years before. These things are not by accident. Idolatry in one form or another has been and continues to be the main stumbling block of all those outside of God's will. We might call it something different. We might call it a cell phone. We might call it the internet. We might call it whatever. But it's all idolatry. If it gets your heart and you put it above God because it has near your time, because people go, how do I know if it's an idol? Look at your time. Weigh your time. It's the most valuable thing that God gives you. What gets your time? If it's your kids, guess what? Your kids are idols. If it's not God, if he's not getting number one, now that doesn't mean you have to live at church and I kind of come here and you're like outside the door going, hey, I need to sit inside. No. <laughs> You can live your life, but the Bible says do all that you do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That means that I can, I can clean the, 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 the platform, but I can do it for the glory of God. I can, I can be at my house loving my wife for the glory of God, right? I can be the husband that she needs me to be for the glory of God. So I do what I do, not for the selfish reason of what it's going to do for me, but I do it for the glory of God. And that way we can do everything that we do for his glory. And then he is priority number one. But what happens is we lose sight because we're selfish. And because we're selfish, we start thinking about, what about me? What about me? God, I know I gave you time today, but you know what? Now it's my time. And you know what? My time, if we're not careful, will become almost all of our time. And the next thing you know, your Bible's covered with dust, sitting in the corner of the room or sitting in the front seat or in the back seat of your car, and you walk by it and you go, yep, there's my Bible. You're not in it. You might carry it around. You might talk about it. But the thing is, my God, God wants our time. Yes. When you're in the Word, God's speaking to you. Yes. Right? When you're in prayer, you're speaking to God. And God wants our hearts. And that's what this all comes down to. What has your heart? And so we see here, as I said, idolatry in one form or another. This is the stumbling block. This is the thing. And yet, we see God willing to offer refuge. Yes. Check this out. Let's go back to this st the story in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And let's listen to God's heart as he speaks to these Israelites before they even get there. Verses 28 through 31. 
And there ye shall serve gods. Listen to this. The work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart, with all thy soul, when thou art in tribulation, when you're in the midst of troubles and all these things are come upon thee, when you find yourself in the midst of a storm and you go, why? He says, even in the latter days, as time grows short and Jesus' return gets better, gets closer, and man, as things get darker, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shall be obedient unto His voice, listen to verse 31, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swear unto them. Now, we certainly understand that contextually, these promises are being given to the Jewish people. This is for God's chosen. That's who he's, he's talking to here. And so what we find is in the Old Testament, though it is not written to us, it is written to the Jewish people, there are plenty of things that are written for our benefit. There are lots and lots of things that we can learn. We can learn about the character of God. We can learn about His examples of, of faithfulness. We can see His desire for humanity, what, what holiness should look like. These things don't change. But what was interesting is what we can also find sometimes in the Old Testament is there's little things that are written to us. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah. Remember the last, the last verse in chapter 20 says this. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel. Okay, there we go. There are the Jews. Notice the next part. And for the stranger that sojourneth among them. Amen. The stranger. That's anybody that's not a Jew. Right? That whosoever, whosoever killeth any person that unwares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger blood until he stood before the congregation. So the same refuge that God's going to offer to his people, he now offers to those who are strangers among them the non-Jew. Do you remember Rahab? Yes. Do you remember what happened to Rahab? Rahab was a Canaanite. And guess what? She believed and trusted God and she asked for salvation. Guess what God gave her? Salvation. And guess what? She became a part of the family of God. And you track through the lineage of Jesus Christ. And you go back through the people that are his genealogy and she's in the genealogy for goodness sakes and she's not a Jew. How beautiful is God? The grace of God to extend to anyone willing Amen. to hear. Amen. And so in these cities of refuge, we've seen access for those living in God's will, those in the promise as well, promised land as well as those outside in the wilderness, and not just for the Jews, but for anybody, the stranger as well. And what a beautiful representation of God we've seen today. That's what I want you to see from Joshua chapter 20. We read it and we go, it's just some cities. No, it's not. God's using his word to paint a picture to show us something beautiful about who he really is. He is a God of refuge. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of, of healing. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made, notice, for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who will have 
all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God made this word available to the whole world. Anybody can come to it. Amazing, the internet now, today, we have access to the Bible like never before. It's unbelievable, and yet people are more biblically illiterate than they've ever been. Not because they don't have access to it, because they will not turn to it. The Bible says that men will, will love to hear fables and stories, and most churches you go to, guess what? You might get one or two verses. You're not going to get as many verses you heard today, and you're sure not going to get the biblical truth that we gave you today. They're going to tell you stories about life and how to be better at what you're doing and how to accomplish what it is you want to accomplish instead of realizing, man, this whole thing's not about us. You're not on this earth for you. You're on this earth so that God can use your life to reach someone else. Again, if it was just about salvation, he would kill you and take you out of here. The moment you receive Christ, you'd say amen and bang, you'd be gone because you know what? You'd get perfect fellowship with God in that moment. But he leaves us here to go through adversity and challenge and to develop our faith so that we can minister those that are outside in the darkness who are fumbling and stumbling and bumbling in the dark and they look and looking for the light. And that's why Jesus says, you are to be salt and light. Your job is to make a difference in the world. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Listen to the Jew first, God's chosen, and also to the Greek. Everybody. He loves the world. That's us. My question is, have you been restored? Have you been forgiven? Have you been made clean? Set free? Have you experienced the refuge of God? from the brokenness of this world. Man, if so, praise His name. Live your life to the glory of God. Don't get caught up in the, the stupidity of daily life and allow it to control your, your perspective and your mindset and your hope. Man, your hope is in Christ. Look, blessed is a man that trusteth on the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. That's it. If you put your faith in this world, it will let you down. Put your faith in yourself, you will fail. But put your faith in God. He will never fail you and never leave you, never forsake you. But if you're here today and you say, listen, you know what? I don't know. I don't know where I stand with God. It's okay not to know. It's okay. There was a day 22 years ago I didn't know. I didn't know anything about God. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I never went to church as a kid. We weren't a member of a church. We did nothing like that. So the idea of understanding who God was, I just would have said, sure, I guess I believe in God, but I don't know. But someone cared enough to sit down and tell me the truth, that I was a sinner and I was on my way to hell. But bottom line is that God loved me in spite of myself. And that's the good news. And if that's you today, instead of paying that price for yourself, which is a separation from God, if you die, from, you die and you do not know Christ, you've never turned to him, you've never surrendered him, guess what? There's only one other option for you. There's either heaven or there's hell. There is no in-between. The idea that there's a purgatory that you can be prayed out of is a lie straight out of a religious hell. There is only two options. And God did not create hell for humanity. It was created for the devil and his angels. It's only the byproduct of our own selfish will that puts us in that place. And he does not desire it for us. So that's why Jesus went to the cross and said, For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's for the world. And anyone, anyone who would receive him would be set free from that penalty. But you've got to realize the fact that it's either by way of Christ or individually we choose to pay ourselves. 
in the end, can I promise you, there will be justice for all. Whether the kind we want to face or not. And I want you to be thinking today. I want you to be thinking about who is a person in your life that maybe who does not know. Who's the person that God's placed a burden on your heart for? Who's that one that you should be praying for every single day? We have to be mindful. Because guess what the Bible tells us? We're not promised tomorrow. This could be our last day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truths you've revealed to us today. And we just pray, God, that you'd help us to be receptive. Lord, help us to be mindful. Lord, not only of your grace and how wonderful you have been, but Lord, the fact that you're offering grace to those that are outside of your will. You're looking at the lost world. And Lord, you offer them salvation just like you offered it to me 22 years ago. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. If there be one that says, I don't know who Christ is. I, I maybe be religious. I might even know who Jesus is. I can maybe tell you a story. But if it comes down to this, I don't know for sure. If I were to die today, if this is my last day on earth, I'm not certain that I am a child of God. I don't know that I've truly received the gift of God. I don't know that I've gone and experienced the refuge and the restoration that you're offering. Right now, maybe I've trusted in something outside of you, but I'm ready to trust in you right now. If that's you today, and you're praying and you're asking God to work in your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Now, there's no magic in a prayer I'm going to give you. There's no ceremony attached to it. It's not about the words. It's about the heart. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It'll, you can pray in your heart and mind. But again, this is an opportunity for you to reach out to God. If he's drawing you and you can feel him drawing you, all you're going to do is surrender to that draw. As he reaches out to you, all you have to do is receive it. Receive his gift. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you know he's calling you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And again, it's not the words. It's just simply your heart speaking to him. I'm going to give you a guide, but you'll be speaking to him in your heart. So in your heart and mind, repeat after me if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so, so sorry for my sin. I understand that it has separated me from you. That, Lord, I have earned a devil's hell. And Lord, maybe I didn't even understand, but I've lived in rebellion. And I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. I put my faith, I put my life, I put my eternity in your hands. And I'm thanking you today for what you're doing in me and I thank you Lord for what you'll do through me in the days to come thank you for saving me I'll see you in heaven one day for it's in Jesus name I pray and give thanks amen head still bowed eyes still closed if you're here today and you prayed I'm not going to point you out or say anything to you but I will ask you just to lift your hand and let me see it because I do want to pray for you I can promise you're going to be under attack if you prayed today you did it online let us know we want to pray for you the enemy is going to come. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that is an absolute truth, but I can promise you he's going to try to trip you up. And we want to pray around and over you. 
So if that was you today, you prayed and asked Christ today in your heart. If you just lift your hand real quick, just lift it up and drop it back down. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? If you did it online, you listened to this recorded, reach out to us. We want to pray for you by name. Lord, thank you for the work you have done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the word. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of this time that we've able to spend in it. Lord, would you help us all to be mindful of the mission that you've given us. And Lord, help us to take it from reaching the world to reaching that one person. That one, God, that you've placed on our hearts. All of us right now have someone envisioned in our minds as we speak. And Lord, I do pray that we would be faithful to pray for them earnestly, fervently, continually. And Lord, let our lives reach out to them. Would you use us as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that one that is broken, that one that is lost, might come to know you as their savior. Thank you for loving them even now. And Lord, those outside of your will, you offer grace. Thank you for what we've seen today. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to take just a moment. Here's an opportunity for you to kind of talk to God on your own. If you have something on your heart, you feel like you want to come to the front, by all means, you can come to the altar or you can just stay in your seat. Just take a minute, talk to God. If he did something great and you want to thank him for it, do so. If you have something that's heavy on your heart, speak to him and I'll come right back and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for being here. Really, really appreciate it. I pray that God spoke to your hearts. Did God speak to anybody in here? Amen. 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 He sure did me. I felt like he was just sitting on my shoulder. So uh, I appreciate y'all being here and uh, being a part of this. Uh, do be mindful of the fact that we do have, again, we have our Christmas Eve service coming up. We'll also have that uh, New Year's Eve celebration, which will be at our home. Um, we're going to be making chili. I've come. If you want me to try to compete, I will. You will easily win. Um, <laughs> I'm willing to try if my wife would let me. Um, I would leave out the peanut butter this time. I'm just telling you, I would. I think peanut butter is a condiment that should go in all foods, I'm just saying. But that's me. Um, but it, be mindful of those things coming up. Um, we will have our Christmas message next, next week. Um, and the kids are going to be in here with us. And again, we have the cookie exchange and all kinds of fun stuff coming up. So I do pray for you guys this holiday season. And be mindful of what this season is actually about, right? This is not about us. It's not about gifts. It's about honoring and glorifying our Lord. And so giving somebody the gift of, of the scripture by putting a track in their hand is one of the most wonderful, most loving things you can do. And I'm telling you, just take that track, hand it to them and say, you know what? I just love to give you a little Bible study that God used to save my life. And then just throw in whatever you got saved. And you know what people say? Really? I'm like, yeah. Would you take time to read it? I would. God bless you. Man, and if they show up at Hope, praise the Lord. But if not, hey, our job is to get the gospel out. It's not about building a church. It's about building the kingdom of God, okay? So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to dismiss, and you guys can make a run for it, all right? <laughs> Father, we do thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for today, God, for this wonderful group of people, and Lord, for the truths of your word. And we ask, God, that you just please uh, impart 
Lord, your wisdom into us through your word. And Lord, I pray that you help us to have receptive hearts and minds. And God, that we would grow not only in knowledge, God, but we want to grow, Father, in, in making a difference and impact, uh, Lord, that our lives would, would make a difference. And that one day when we stand before you, we won't stand with our head down. But Lord, we'll look at you and we'll say, you know what? I wasn't perfect, but man, I gave it my all even to the end. And Lord, we're not promised tomorrow. Today could be the last day. Lord, help us give it our all. And Father, we thank you so much for who you are, what you've done in our lives. And Lord, we praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.